Welcome to Out of Game Episode 22. In today's episode, we discuss playing board games in a hostage situation, give a mini-review of Mysterium, and give our thoughts on the pros and cons of the various styles of cooperative games. This is your host, Ryan. Join me, Chris, and Tim as we go out of game. Welcome to episode 22 of Out of Game. 22. <laughs> this is Ryan. This is Chris. And this is Tim. And we are a podcast about board, board games. games. Board games. We had a quick discussion to figure out if that's still the case. Because in a future episode, we'll be talking about RPGs. Yes, we will. In that episode, what are we going to say? Well, we'll save it for then. I think it's the next episode, isn't it? After this one? Yes, it is. Yeah. What are we talking about this episode, Tim? Well, I think it's, it's all about... You got to throw me under the bus like that? It's all about looking. co-op. Yeah. Cooperative co-op. games. Cooperative games. because we're working together for the intro. I missed the bold. It's a cooperative podcast. Yeah. yeah. Going to talk about cooperative games. But before we do all that, it's time to jump into the spawn point. Spawn point. So, spawn point. Who wants to start? How about Chris? Chris, what's going on? Mysterium. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, we've been playing a lot of mis- Pandemic Le- Legacy Sweet and up. Mysterium. And Mysterium, you know, I've gotten to be the ghost and the player, so that'll be fun to talk about both aspects. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, we're going to talk about that this episode, in fact. Anything you want to say to our listeners, oh, Chris? Yeah, we have a VIP. We have a VIP listener with a birthday coming up. Who's so that? This would be Lori. I wanted to wish Lori a happy 31st birthday. Lori has impeccable taste. And is very smart. Very smart. <laughs> Happy birthday, Lori. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Tim, what's going on with you? I actually played Scum for the first time in X-Wing. Oh, okay. Third I thought faction. you meant the card game. The card game, Scum? There's a card yeah. game? Yeah. <laughs> is it as good as Flux? It's pretty fun. It's way better than Flux. Okay, well, that's is not Scum the same the third much. faction? Scum is the third faction in X-Wing, so I actually got to play it for the first time and my poor brother's sake, he got totally destroyed. So I brought a hound's yeah. tooth with Zizor and a couple Y wings, and it was like no competition. It was it was pretty sad. So, so the moral of the story is Tim is good no matter what faction he uses, <laughs> and no matter what type of game he's playing. It worked out nice. Yeah, yeah. So does your nephew seem to enjoy himself more? Oh, uh, actually, he was not there this time because they were busy. Yeah. So it was just me and my brother. So we did a 300-point battle and kind of cleaned that up real quick, like in a couple hours. So then we did another 100-point battle, and it was pretty much the same result. So so what is the time frame of a 100-point battle? 100-point battle depends. It's usually, like, if you're doing tournament play, it's 60 minutes or 75 minutes are the two typical time plays. So if they've got a pretty full room, they usually go with a 60-minute time. If it's a very small group, they'll usually go with 75 minutes. Okay. And, and do, you, do you do three-player games or, like, two one versus one? or That's all, yeah, that's all 1v1. It's all head-to-head. So they don't have three-player version even though there's three factions? They, there is epic play, and I've heard some tournaments, uh, they do, like, an epic element, but there's not really an official... They'd be like some store run epic event that they would do, but there's nothing like at Gen Con that you would go and play anything official epic to like advance in the rankings and stuff. Hmm. I'm just trying to figure out if we could play this game three players. You could. I mean, basically, two people would run 100 point fleets, and the other guy would run a 200 point fleet, and it's the point cost that balances everything. So okay, so we give you 100 points, and Chris and I both use 200, and we would team up. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> and we would still lose. 
<laughs> Sounds like a plan. I'll just have to do a fat Han list then, see if it can live. Well, for me, sit back and uh, relax. Let me just tell you a tale of oh, no. my spawn point adventures. Is this another 30-minute spawn point? It won't be 30 minutes, okay. but I've got a few, I- a few items on the list. So first, I want to talk about a failure of mine. So I mentioned before that I'm a churchgoer, and one of the churches that we go to actually go to a Chinese and an English one. Go to the Chinese one like once a month. They have a youth program. So they, a- they found out I'm into board games, and they asked me if I could run like a board game night with the youth. And of course I said yes, because, you know, it's board games. So it was planned for like a month. And, uh, and Evan actually has like a class that night, my, my three-year-old, at, this, at the church. So got everything packed up, drove 45 minutes to the church, brought Evan, got out of the car, realized I forgot all the board games. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, it was bad. So I had to walk in. I almost turned around and left. Did you have a deck of cards? Nope, I didn't have a jack. So... The youth who were anticipating this event had had to sit through the adult English Bible study instead. Ooh. So, I felt pretty bad. Although it was a good Bible study. I uh, How many people showed? There were seven. And it's pretty good because it's a small church. And so I did have a chance to redeem myself. Uh, they had another uh, group two weeks later, but there were only two, two people there. And they're like, we ain't falling for that again. Yeah. So kind of an epic fail. So any plans for another... You know, they, they didn't really set an official date. She did say, like, you know, we, we could do it again, but I haven't heard anything. So we'll see. But we had fun. Played the Going, Going, Gone. Remember the Going, Going, Gone? No. The game we played with the real-time auction. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that now. So played some of that and played a, like a dexterity game I called... I actually like that game. I know. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't remember it. I couldn't remember the name, but that's a good game. Yeah. I mean, if it was called Art Auction, then it would probably have struck a <laughs> yep. thing, but yeah. Really? I think yeah. we pretty much have to describe the, the gameplay itself for Chris to remember. <laughs> I could even show him the box and he wouldn't remember. Yeah. I always refer to things as that pirate game or that zombie game. Right. So what, what would you refer to this game as? Uh, I like Art Auction. Art, Art Auction about not that bad. Throwing your chits around game. No, because that probably applies to other games, uh, too. But Art Auction. The Art Auction game. It's unique. All right. We'll call it that in the future. So yeah, had to redeem redeem myself for that. Then at my other church, also had a board game night. So it's kind of funny. I feel like I'm going into churches which are known for evangelism, and I'm evangelizing board games. <laughs> so so just had a uh, a game night at my other church, which was actually kind of stressful because we had probably like twelve or so people show up, and I was the only one who knew the rules for most of the game. So I. Like, I tried to play in some games, but I found myself running around from, like, table to table, making sure people understood rules, and then someone knew... I'd be in the middle of a game, and then someone knew would show up, and I was like, all right, I'm kind of responsible for making sure that person does something. So I would have to leave the current game I was in and go teach, like, the new people a new game. But everyone had fun, so it was good. Played some King of Tokyo, of course. Uh, some Ticket to Ride, that one. Play Tumple again. We'll have to play Tumple sometime. You guys Tumble. might like that one. What's Tumple? It's like a dexterity game where you're... My friend describes it as reverse Jenga. You're building a tower of okay. blocks that are like Jenga blocks, but you can put them like in any anywhere you want, and some of them you stand on end or on the different sides. You're not just standing everything on the right. flat side. Okay. So it turns into like this tree of Jenga blocks, basically, and then you're trying not to knock it over. I'm going to be doing a Ryan's review of that one soon. Good. But it's it's a game that I had never heard of that a friend of mine introduced me to. Adam, he's a listener. Hi, Adam. Play some seasons with a listener. Speaking of listener, oh, it's one of your favorites. 
It is. Played it online, actually, on Board Game Arena with Barney the Board Game Bear. Did you know that we have a listener who is a giant stuffed bear? I did, did not. not know that. Yeah, he uh, he replies to our posts, uh, and apparently he plays board games. Hey, bro, hey bar, uh, Barney, Barney the Board Game Bear. That's, that's, a, that's a mouthful. So, yeah, he's an interesting fellow, the Board Game Bear. But I won. won our two-player game of Seasons, so that was fun. Seasons is a great game. If you If you play Magic the Gathering and you don't like it, I suggest you try Seasons because it's better than Magic the Gathering. Whoa, whoa, hold whoa, on. whoa. Hold on, That's hold on, hold a on. lot of... I don't, I don't know about game that podcast one. does not endorse that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to edit that up. I uh, played another online game with my friends Brian and Aaron, Through the Ages, a new story of civilization. So I've talked about Through the Ages before, Through the Ages, a story of civilization. So they released a new version of the game called A New Story of Civilization, and we've been playing that online. But they refined some rules and kind of had a bad experience with this game. So this game claims that, so since it's a civilization game, uh, there's military, right? But they claim that you can't win the game with military, but that you can lose the game by having a poor military. Well, I beg to differ, because... I get destroyed in this game, and those who had good military went on to do very well. And speaking of our Kingmaker discussion, remember the talk about how when you're in the lead, you shouldn't go after the people who are losing? Well, my friends Brian and Aaron did not listen to that and attacked me. We counted a total of nine times throughout the game and just completely decimated me in interest of beating the other player. So I was, like, demoralized the entire game, and they just kept attacking me turn after turn. And the attacks are brutal. They're, they're things like they directly steal points from you. So they attack you, they take 20 points from you. So they go up 20, you go down 20. So it's like a 40-point swing in a oh, game geez. where the final scores are, like, around 150. So pretty bad. And I can't say I blame them. I kind of blame the game for this because there is no, like, comeback mechanic. I I don't know if we've talked about comeback mechanics before, but there has to be a way to come back in a game when you're losing. A lot of games accommodate for this, but this game does not. You just keep losing more uh, the more you lose. So I didn't really have a great time with that game, although I do think the changes overall were positive. I've just learned that when you play this game, you have to keep your military equal to everyone or you're going to get destroyed. So through the ages, New Story of Civilization, I do recommend it if your friends aren't mean. (laughs) (laughs) So Asmodee North America, remember we we touched on this a couple episodes ago where they're kind of taking over the board game industry. Yep. So April 1st came. Yes, it did. April 1st came, and so everyone found out what, actu- what this actually means for buying games online. And what it kind of means is, so like the store I usually buy games from, Cool Stuff Inc., games used to be uh, 33 to 34% off. And across the board, through the spot checks that I did, every game was at 25% off. So what does that what does that mean? Well, I did the math. That means that for a fifty dollars game, I'm paying four dollars more per game. So I don't know. Their goal was to increase the intrinsic value of the games to the people buying the games, and I'm not sure that they're accomplishing that by essentially increasing the price by four dollars. That's only yeah. the online price, though, right? Yeah, I don't know. Well, the store price is still going to be the same, full MSRP. So there's not going to be a change there. Well, I thought the the whole part of that gambit was that they were going to be selling it to the store owners for less so that they were still making more profit on that versus the online. Right, but the store owners are making more profit because they aren't dropping their prices. 
And then those that are selling online can't sell it for as cheap. So it closes the gap between online and local stores. So I don't know. I don't know if they're accomplishing what they set out for, but they made their gains more expensive. So props to you, Asmodee. And then lastly, my magic number update. Uh, Here we go. Uh It's down to 23. Soon to go to 22. Wow. I'm wondering if uh, that makes you nervous at all, Chris. Uh, a little I'm, wager going on. I don't. I'm not nervous. Not I mean, nervous. You're, you're going to be buying more games. Hmm. And the a... pandemic, pandemic legacy is going to save me. That's <laughs> true. That's true. That's taken up it a might. lot of valuable time. It might. Yeah. One thing that I've done though is I've gone through all of my games and I've looked for ones that have official variants to play solo. So I'm going to be playing some games solo to knock them off the list. No, nah, that, that sounds like a, 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 a loop around there. It's uh... a loop around. <laughs> like Loop and Chewy. Loop and Chewy. I bought that game and played it. It's pretty fun. Do you have that game? No, I don't. I just, I just know of it. You bought that game and played it solo? Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, Evan got to play that one with Evan, actually. 23. I, uh, I have a feeling we're going to come down to the wire. I, know, I think one. we're going to have to kind of factor in solo plays there. It's too late for that. It's an official variant. I I don't do it if it's not official. Like, I wouldn't take a game... If it's not official, then you just have Evan play the game with you. (laughs) Here, Evan. Move the piece here. That's a good boy. Daddy's magic number is going down. Yeah. (laughs) Here's a piece of candy. Uh, No, I wouldn't do that. I only do things that feel honorable. Well, just as you're about ready to win the bet, Pandemic Legacy is going to come in and rip your heart out. It might. It might. It's time to move on to a listener question. Listener question. Tim, why don't you read question one? Okay. From Jim Getson. I hope I'm saying that right. My question is for Tim. We play X-Wing, and I love when you talk about it. On a previous episode, you mentioned that there were advantages for the Rebel side. Can you talk about what advantages there are for both the TIE Fighters as well as the Rebels? So what I think I was talking about there is someone coming into the game new... I think the Rebels have an easier time of things because a Rebel is, for one, they have shields, uh, so that helps to alleviate direct, uh, direct hits and the, the criticals. They also have kind of just beefier ships, like the uh, Millennium Falcon is just a nice large ship, a lot of hull, a lot of shields, easy protection. It's also a turreted ship, so you don't have to worry about fire arcs as much because you can shoot in 360 degrees. You don't have to worry about pointing your ship at another ship in order to get those fires. And the Imperials are kind of more... They're supposed to be more dodgy, and typically, if you're an Imperial player, you're going to have more ships on the table than a Rebel player. So you're more concerned with flying ships in formation and keeping in a tight formation to get number of guns onto a target to take a target out. So you need to be a lot better at your judgments when putting down rulers and measuring so that you don't bump into each other and lose those critical actions that help you to win. The Imperials also really want to just be out of fire arcs in general. So a lot of Imperial players will just spend their actions and stuff just to get out of rebel fire arcs and then just you know they get a shot that's unmodified but it's still a clean shot that is not being returned upon them so they end up having to have a little more finesse when they're flying whereas the rebel you know you can fly that falcon right up the middle and shoot anybody that's around you in any direction and not have an issue with it some of the big things in the meta you know the the fathan is the biggest thing right now for the rebels and this is han solo on the millennium falcon with gunner and he's basically just a god, and pretty much he's going to get some hits no matter what every round with his re-roll abilities. But when it comes down to the actual tournament scene and stuff, Imperials win more often. And it's due to the finesse flying, getting out of arcs, using auto thrusters, 
using stealth devices and basically getting the agilities up and being outside of fire arcs and basically taking free shots. So it takes a lot more skill to do that. And that's, I think, where my nephew has fallen down is he's playing the Imperials and he's kind of playing it more of a run up the middle directly at each other. And I think in that kind of a head-to-head situation, the Rebels are going to win most of the time. They're going to take those criticals and they're going to bounce off shields where TIE Fighter gets hit with a critical. That could be the end of the TIE Fighter if he pulls a double damage critical. So, yeah, so I, I think that's the biggest thing there is the ease of flying. So how often are you the Rebels? I've pretty much been a Rebel player the whole time. My, my brother Jim decided he wanted to be Imperial. Of course. So I just I said, fine, I'll take Rebels, you know, not knowing any of this stuff up front because we just bought the starter set and started playing. Uh, and then, of course, when Johnny and my other brother Chris started playing, Johnny wanted to be Imperials just because, well, he wanted to fly Boba Fett. That was pretty much his whole reason. And Boba Fett was on the Imperial side. Now, albeit the Boba Fett on the Imperial side is horrible. I don't think it's ever been flown in a tournament because it's just the, the, his special ability is probably the most lackluster ability in the game. So his whole motivation there was kind of ill wrought. And then he's not, he's not working on flying. He just tries to fly straight up. And we, we've, we've actually named his squads the uh, Cyclone Squadron because he usually ends up just flying around in circles out on the table, not shooting at anybody while his partner is getting decimated by two other players. So then by the time he decides to join the fight, it's pretty much another two-on-one, and I think that's why they end up losing a lot with, uh, with the two-player, two-player setup that we do. Interesting. What about Scum? You didn't talk about Scum. I've only played Scum once. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I've only done one Scum thing, but it's actually uh, it's got some power there. I think, and unfortunately, too, there's a Boba Fett in Scum, and that Boba Fett is actually pretty decent. Okay. Well, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it's kind of the whole Boba Fett. He's a mercenary, right? So when the game came out, there was only... Rebel and an Imperial, yeah. so they had to do a Imperial version. Now with Scum, there's another version of Boba Fett, and he's much better. And if we were to, if if we were to start playing today, we'd have probably given Johnny Scum because yeah. it, it's definitely a much more durable. You still have the fire arcs. You got to get you know you got to point your ship at something to shoot it, and that's kind of been his downfall too. Is his best ship would be let's fly a bunch of you know, YT-1300s around and have turreted arcs. That way he could, no, it doesn't matter which way he's pointing, he could hopefully get a shot off. Cool. So which faction would be good for, so remember in Magic how I'm just like super aggressive. I just like to just right. attack and go yeah. crazy. Yeah. That's how I play like first-person shooters too. So which faction would be good for? I, I think, I like Rebel and the one time I played the Scum, I liked I liked for its heads-up ability, but like with Rebel, I, I, I'm a B-Wing flyer. I love the B-Wings and they're they're pretty beefy. They've got a good, a good hull and a lot of shields, so they're the beefy fighter that can go in there. They've got a good attack power. You know, Try to get those guys into close combat and just pound your enemy. So uh, I'd go with B-Wing for you. Okay. I'm interested. Are you interested in this yeah, game Yeah, I would try all? it. Yeah, Really? Because yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of the tactical. It's more about, I mean, a lot of it comes down to spatial relations because you've got a 3 by 3 playing area that you're putting ships on, and now you've got these little range rulers, and you have to eyeball... You know, if I if I fly four, am I going to hit this? So do I fly three only, and then oh, I want to get close to this guy? So it's a lot of it's spatial relations is there a shot and clock? figuring out. <laughs> there is no shot clock, but yeah, I mean, you, we usually don't take that long to set up our our stuff. And if you do the tournament stuff, it's you know it's a hundred points on hundred points. So typically, you're talking you know two or three rebel ships, and you know usually the imperials go a little higher. Although with some of the, the you know the more recent builds with like Whisper and Echo with the Phantoms, those are much smaller builds because they're 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 more expensive they're going for high pilot skill and just trying to stay out of firing arcs and shooting you so 
I would say your average battle is probably three on five. Does this sound? I'm, I'm wondering by Chris's definition of random. This whole game sounds random because you have no idea what the other player is going to do, right? This so is true. the whole game random? Isn't that your definition? No, well, and you are you are rolling dice too. No. So <clears throat> as we talked about on the random episode, which do you remember? Was that like episode four or something? I don't remember. We broke this down. I listened to this recently. Okay, and it's not just randomness it's how much does the randomness affect the outcome of the game well it's directly affecting it it's head to head yeah but like as tim was saying there you can see the whole board yeah but it's based on pilot skill so now you've got your pilot skill from zero all the way up to you know i've seen uh, my brother had a pilot skill 13 because you can apply better instincts to something and bump it up above the card value skill so based on that lowest pilot skill goes first so you go low to high and then when you get into combat highest pilot skill shoots first down to low. So if you've got low piloting skill ships, their jobs kind of go out there and get in your high pilot skills ways. Because then if you bump me, you lose your action. So I'm basically taking actions away from your ships with my lower stuff and hoping that my higher level stuff will then now be able to shoot on a ship that doesn't have an evade or any way to avoid that. Yeah. So to answer Ryan's question, I'd have to see it. Yeah. to play it to answer that and the easiest thing I, you know i'd recommend anybody just starting out don't just play simple drop the ships on the thing drop the cards just play straight up don't do actions just get used to the movement and firing arcs and getting shots out when you need to and then once you've kind of got a little bit of handling down go ahead and add the actions in and start getting to the more complex part of the game all right all right thanks jim thank you jim for the question question number two comes from manuel munoz Sit back and relax, because this is a long question. Yes, it is. Cue epic music. Question for the show. Here is a scenario for you. Late at night in the game library at BGGCon, you and two others are suddenly surrounded by six mysterious people. The leader steps forward, and you realize you have just been taken hostage. Your captors catch sight of your press badge and single you out. Hey, you're with the Dice Tower. Aren't you that Tom Vassal guy? No matter how hard you try to convince them otherwise, they are certain you are Tom Vassell, the man who knows everything about board games. That's questionable. Before you know it, they challenge you to a game, any game in the library. You will play for the lives of the two other hostages. If you win, they get to go free. If you fail, well, they will both be executed. You stand frozen in disbelief. Suddenly, guns are drawn. Pick a game. Talk me through how you would handle the situation. Do you pick a game? You can choose almost anything. What do you pick? Does the pressure of having to play with a loaded gun press against your temple disturb you? You guys are good writers. You figure out the rest. So clearly the answer to this is you get two chalices of wine <laughs> and lace them with iocane powder. But what if you haven't spent, building spent up an immunity? my life building up an immunity? <laughs> okay. So we've had this question in different forms where, you know, it's a life or death situation. What game would you play? I don't know about you guys, but there, there's a lot of ways to go here. So one would be Caverna. I mean, the game is so long that while you're playing, you can start thinking of a plan to get out of it. That's kind of, I kind of went with that one too, because I went with Twilight Imperium figuring uh, even either longer. A, they'll fall asleep because I'm going to do the big negotiation game like Ryan is going to do. <laughs> And make it like an 18-hour epic thing that they're either going to get bored and I'll be able to sneak out at the bathroom break or, you know, they'll just fall asleep and we can get a hold of their gun. Do you agree with the, the long game approach? Yeah, but those are both good games. So they might not fall asleep. They might be really into it. Yeah, but just if there was a long... Like if we were playing Caverna and you were the guy taking me hostage, 
my body language would be so negative, and you'd, you'd just become so frustrated that you would probably just let us go. Yeah, maybe. All right, what's your other? You said there's a lot of ways to go. Yeah, well, you know, if you're going the serious route, I don't know if M- Magic and the Gathering counts. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, would, I would probably challenge him to a booster draft or sealed deck. Oh, man. Best out of five. I feel pretty good about that. It's not a board game, though, so that might not be good enough for him. It's in the library. It should be in the library. It could be. Yeah, it's, it's in the library of, of board games, technically. But to the point about the gun and the pressure, I remember at Gen Con, I was at a, a booster draft. This was recent, although we haven't done them in the last couple of years. But in the later years when we were doing the, the booster drafts, I had to pee really bad <laughs> because it just took us a long time to be called for our group. And that pressure... You know, it tells you a lot about what you can handle under that sort of pressure. I was able to concentrate enough to build my deck and do pretty well, and I was proud of that. Nice. You know, under that kind of pressure. So I think that the gun issue... Chris just compared having a gun to your head to having to pee. It's pressure, man. It's all about pressure. (laughs) Yeah, but don't you remember, too, when you're building that deck and you're playing those games and how, how much pressure you felt to win the game and that was just to win some booster packs yeah but now instead, say, instead of booster packs you're you're playing for your life and then someone's got a gun pointing right to your head i always feel like there's a gun pointed at my head anyway when i'm playing in a slow game and somebody's <laughs> taking forever for their turn that's just as torturous so the, the gun issue i think we're i think we're good okay the problem i have is that i'm, I'm not good at a lot of games only a small amount of games i would be confident what about you guys well, you know, first I was kind of thinking of, you know, how close are these two friends? I mean, is it like Dave and someone else that's just like, hey, I'm just going to skip? <laughs> <laughs> but, then, but I thought, you know, what about we, like, weigh our odds out and play, like, Spyfall? Because now to win, I got a much better chance of winning within Spyfall. Especially since the rules are so confusing. Yeah, well, then, you know, if, <laughs> if I'm the spy, then I can win it for everything. But if I'm not the spy, I just got to, you know, help these people to... Yeah, but a it. hostage taker probably is used to being a spy. You, so they would be pretty skilled. Not in be, only being the spy, but it's sniffing yeah. out the spy. Yeah. I see, I, see, I kind of threw that one out for those kind of reasons, too. So, and you'd have a gun pointed at your Well, you have a gun, right. So it'd be even more stressful. So I was thinking, you know, maybe could do something like a Kalis or something like that. But then I was thinking, well, it's me and, like, three hostage takers, right? So all they got to do is play three on one, and I'm going to mm-hmm. lose that scenario. True. So yeah, that's when I, you'd be frustrated because they're all going after you. Exactly. So I just you know the gun, the frustration of being three on one, I just, I, I'd crack. So then I was like, okay, it's got to be a one on one, and magic was kind of one of my thoughts too. But then I decided to go with X wing. Ooh, figuring maybe they won't know some of the X wing things out there. And I might be able to build a list and be able to take them. I like his odds at X one. Unless they're net decking hostage takers. <laughs> yeah. The, see that this is the thing though is even if they know that they need to know how to play it and play it on the table. Yeah. So just because you build the list doesn't mean you know how to fly the list. Well, if these hostage takers are choosing Tim as this person, then no, they think I'm Tom Vassell. Lost. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, true. They, they think, think I'm Tom Vassell, so I'm I'm in the clear. Yeah. Uh, they're infirm. So I'm thinking maybe I, I got a fat Han list that's going to take him out. And they're going to be like, what's up with that? How can you shoot four times? I'm like, hey, it's Han. And maybe I'll just have him hand me the gun. I want to hear Ryan's answer now. So unlike you guys, who probably had multiple games to choose from that you're good at, <laughs> I had to think back through the game, my game experiences at what, what is the game that I have the highest win percentage? And I think it's Monopoly. You hate Monopoly, though. Well, that, I do. Well, that goes to boring them to death. Also, it's better than it's better than Risk. But I had an unusually high record in Monopoly. I think I have a broken strategy in that game. Plus, I would implement house rules that were to my advantage to unknowing well, you, players of the game. 
Oh, okay, so you're assuming that they don't know the rules to like, yeah, they think a game that I'm the expert, forever. so I'm you know I'm the one teaching them. You know the best property you get in Monopoly? I do. What Tennessee Avenue? Yeah, the oranges. That's yeah, the oranges. They have a very high percentage, and no one no one really knows that. I know that. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> so I wrote a software to figure it out. Okay, so if I played Chris, if Chris was taking hostages, I might have met my match, but no, he's not aware of my house rule. You can't roll well, though. Wouldn't you roll that? yourself in jail? Rule? I'm not telling you my secret house rule. <laughs> So I think it would be Monopoly. And plus, when I suggest Monopoly, there's a chance they might just turn and run. So there's always that chance. They might laugh. Yeah. They might be like, okay. this. Uh, I'm curious to play Ryan Monopoly. (laughs) I want to see what his strategy is. I probably won. I would say I've won 80% of Monopoly games I've played. I'm definitely not that With all player counts. Were these solo plays? Wow. (laughs) 80% of the time against himself. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I still found a way to lose 20% of the games. It gets yeah, you go to jail enough, you know, it happens. The banker won. So thanks for the question, Manuel. Hope I said your name right. Sorry if I didn't. Don't have a segue here, but it's time to do a mini-review. Mini review. Mysterium. In our cooperative theme of the game Mysterium. Mysterium. Before we discuss the pros and cons of Mysterium, I'll give a quick overview. And you guys jump in if I screw something up, or as Vassal. I tend to do. Because I'm not Tom Vassal, we've established. Yes. So in Mysterium, the theme of Mysterium is that there's someone who's been murdered. And it's Halloween night. And the ghost of the murdered victim is trying to discover who his killer was. How the murder took place. But he has fuzzy details. And there's some paranormal investigators going to, I guess, a the haunted mansion where this murder took place. And they're trying to also help the ghost to discover the identity of his killer and, I guess, put the ghost at rest. So the way this plays out is one person plays the ghost and they're basically not allowed to talk. And there's all these amazing cards of artwork that are very abstract. They're kind of like Dixit cards. They're tarot-sized. And... Basically, what you're trying to figure out is who the killer was, where the murder happened, and what the weapon was that was used in the murder. Kind of like Clue, only a lot better. So, the way this works is the ghost, he put out, the ghost puts out seven cards in each category, and there's six players. So, there's basically one dud card in each category. And the ghost knows the identities of all. Of, of all the six uh, potential people that could be the killer and the, the six potential locations. And each, you know, he basically, the, the ghost has a screen in front of them that there's a, there's a column for each player. And in, in the column, he'll have a card for each player that shows who the character is, the location, and the weapon. And each column represents one of the different players. And the ghost is trying to help the players figure out who their character is. Because remember, these are investigators, right? They're not the actual characters. They're investigators, and they have, I guess, some kind of connection to these characters and the murder. So the ghost is trying to help them figure out kind of who their person is, etc. The way you do this is the ghost has a deck of really abstract cards, and you draw, you draw seven of them, and then, like, let's say... Tim has a character and his the cards are out there and I might give Tim like two cards that kind of relate to one of the character cards 
and I don't say anything to Tim. I just hand him two cards. And Tim has to look at those two cards and try to figure out which character is his. And I do this for every person. Yeah, the mechanic is basically the ghost is trying to communicate to the players through these abstract cards and trying to get them to go on a path. Right. To guess a person, a, uh, a weapon, and a, a, a location. Right. And it's through using these abstract cards without talking. And so that's the main mechanic of the game. And basically, you just do that until and when someone figures out who their character is, they move up to the next section, which is figuring out the location. After they figure that out, they move on to the weapon, and then eventually they just move kind of the end, and then, then they just kind of wait for everyone to get to the end. And this is a cooperative game, so if everyone doesn't get to the end, you just you all lose. So you want everyone to do well. So when you're when I'm like if I was a ghost handing out cards, all the players would be discussing together which character they think those cards represent, et cetera, and you, and you all help each other. There's also this mechanic called the clairvoyance tokens, where let's say. Chris thinks he's one character, and I, can, and I don't agree with him. I can actually vote against him. This is a great part of the game. By I the knew way. you would like this. Yeah, because it gives you something to do with somebody else's turn. So you can upvote or downvote their decision. So if Tim gets a couple cards and he thinks that it's with like the hammer, and I don't agree that his car, the card art given him by the ghost indicates a hammer, I can downvote his decision. And if I'm right, then I get a point, and the points relate to something later on in the game. But it gives all the players something to do in addition to cooperatively trying to help decipher these cards is up or down voting the decision made by the players. And you can't, there's only so many up and down votes you have. Right. But, but it makes it, it's definitely an interesting mechanic. And it comes into play at the end of the game in terms of individually winning the game versus everybody winning the game. Yeah, if you do the best throughout the game of, correctly upvoting and downvoting people then basically you have the most say at the end uh, because you move on to this final round where uh, where the ghost basically puts out three cards that represent the actual killer location and weapon and then everyone has to secretly vote on which one they think is correct and whoever was highest on that track their vote is final if there's a tie don't they get more cards yeah, it, yeah, and as you move up the track, you get to see more of the car, more of the more clues, the clue cards, yeah. basically. Yeah. And then the tiebreaker is whoever is highest on the track. Also, you're rewarded for being the first to figure out all three of your things, because there's a timer of seven rounds. And let's say I got to the end in round three. There's four rounds left, so I get to go up four spaces on that track, which is a lot. I mean, the track only goes up to like yeah. 15. So the, the, there's individual rewards, right? Even though it's a co-op game. So you're working together because you all want to get to the end, but you're also individually trying to be the highest on the track because you selfishly want to have the, the winning vote at the end. Right. Okay, so positives. What are some things you guys like about this game? There's an, One of my favorite things about this game is there's involvement. You get to be involved even when it's not your quote-unquote turn to do something. When the cards are handed out by the ghost, the ghost can hand cards out to player A, Players B, C, and D are still waiting because it takes the ghost a while to churn through and to figure out what the clues are. And so as that's happening, we can kind of help player A determine what to do. And there's involvement there. And then also the up and down voting. So there's something to do even when it's not your turn. That's definitely something I like. The theme is very good. I, I really like the theme, the art, and the mood it puts you in. You know, you kind of feel like you're immersed in it. Yeah, I agree. I, if you... I feel like it's important to understand the theme when you start, because otherwise it doesn't make sense what's happening. I feel like it's whoever's teaching the game needs to make it clear what we're doing in the game. The ghost is giving visions because he has like scattered visions of what happens. He doesn't, the ghost doesn't know exactly what happens. So he has these weird abstract visions. 
and you're trying to help the ghosts figure it out. Yeah, and to that point of the theme and kind of understanding it based on what the artwork is like, you don't have to be a hardcore gamer to play this game. True. And that, that's another good thing about it. You know, you, you can have some fun and, and just pick this up in five minutes if you've played with people who've played before. Yeah. How about you, Tim? What are some things you liked? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the fact that you're you're really never just sitting there. Even even though you don't have cards for yourself, you can still be helping the other people try to decipher what their cards that have been handed. So there's really never any downtime, so it keeps things flowing. I think the hardest part's actually on the person playing the ghost. They have the most things to do, so they're over busy, and then it's not really affected that they're taking time to pick cards because you're involved with trying to help other people make their decisions. And then the upvote, downvote, too. It's another thing to decide when people actually decide who they're trying to pick, you know, location or whatever. So, yeah, another positive I have, too, is the rewarding feeling you have of getting it right. Yeah. Because the art is so difficult, and we'll get to that in the negatives. <laughs> but it's, it's very, as you're the ghost, you can't talk. And so you're talking through these cards, and you're trying to get the players to go in a certain direction with these freaky cards that are impossible to communicate through yeah but when it happens and you see the success i don't know if you felt this way ryan when you were the ghost but that was really a lot of fun those individual moments where and it's like you you got like the, yeah. the point i was trying to get through it worked yeah on some level that is a very rewarding feeling and for the player too you know, to know that, you know, that they were able to figure it out. But for the ghost, it's like, I'm sending you these signals. Please understand. Yeah. And the funny thing about it is that's probably what it's like in real life for a ghost. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> ghosts are real. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we don't know. I mean, if a ghost is trying to communicate with you, maybe it's it's giving you signals and, and you're not getting it. So ghosts, all of a sudden you get it. The ghost is like high five in the other ghost. They are. But they're high fiving and dancing. <laughs> um, so for me, I love the art, even though it's weird. I think the art is amazing, though. It's amazing artwork in and of itself. I also think the the game has a great arc to it. Uh, and what I mean by that is I felt like as the game was progressing, the enjoyment was increasing <laughs> of the game. It didn't piddle out at the end. It, ca- it got more and more exciting as we went. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I think every game should strive to be like that, right? It should start off a little slow, but then start to pick up. And over time, it should become more and more exciting. You know, until like there's a finale at the end. And this game definitely has a finale type mm-hmm. feeling to it. Another thing that's interesting is I feel like each individual game has its own metagame built in. As you go through the game, that one game, there's a metagame of art cards that the ghost is giving that you know kind of link to c- the cards out on the table. Because at the end, you're like revisiting those cards again and you might remember something from earlier in the game. So it's like each game has its own individual metagame, which I, I found interesting. Oh, and the last thing I love, I love the clairvoyance votes. A lot of people don't like this from Why? what I've been hearing. The clairvoyance votes, the upvotes. And Why? Why don't they like it? I don't know. I, I don't understand. I like it, it too. I think it's a good thing. And, and you didn't actually mention the reason I thought you would like this. I have it in my notes that Chris, well, I'm not Chris, done. Chris likes the clairvoyance token. So let me see if I can figure out the other reason why you would like it. Okay. It's because you always say that games should reward you for being right. Exactly. And this game definitely rewards you for being right. Yeah. This, that mechanic should be... There's a lot of other games that could use that. Because it really... It's interesting and fun to try to up and down vote what people are doing and to get credit for being wrong or right. For it. And we, we have talked about this like in The Resistance and some of these other games. 
So if you're like really selfish, would you convince somebody that it was the wrong thing no. on purpose and then downvote them? <laughs> no, because we need to resolve. We need to get to the end. So, but isn't that kind of like the secret goal in Dead of Winter? It's like yeah, but with secret goal in Dead of Winter, you still need the group to succeed as a whole. Yeah, or else true. you still lose. Well, so does the same with Mysterium. Yeah, so you, you, that's why you're you're motivated to help. You need you need to get everybody. Yeah, you wouldn't right. want you wouldn't want someone to guess wrong because then there's another turn wasted at that level as opposed to moving on. Okay, yeah, maybe so if they're at the last level and there's still like four game rounds left, then you can afford to, you know, mess <laughs> up a turn idea, or something. Yeah. But I can see Chris doing that. You know, the, yeah, that brings up a point. One of the things I really like about this game that's underrated is the analysis paralysis problem of co-op games is negated a little bit because the art is so funky. In other words. The, the biggest problem in co-op games, and I don't know if we agree on this or not, maybe we don't, is that if you analyze something to death and spend the more time you spend on it, the higher percent chance of success you have motivates you to spend time on it. Yeah, we'll and talk that, about that later for sure. Right. To me, that's, that's a negative. And you can only get so far with these cards. Right. You know, it's you true. analyze them and they're so abstract that more time isn't going to equal more success. And I like that. It keeps the game moving. I think it's a lot of positives. Yeah. How about negatives? We're yeah, good, so we're good at negative here. Yeah, as I said, I think that the artwork it's it's a little frustrating, but I think that's that's by design. That it's it's supposed to be difficult. Yeah. But I have to say the mini versions of the cards are frustratingly inaccurate compared to the bigger, you know, just cuz they're small. There's there's miniature versions of the cards that you get to see as the ghost that mirror the cards that are on the table that everybody else is seeing and when everything's miniaturized you can't get a good view of it there was that one game i thought that it was a bird on there <laughs> and it, it was what was it, was it? an inkwell it was an inkwell was, yeah <laughs> not, not even in the same universe and it was because i, I couldn't tell what it was so there is that the pictures there anybody who's played the ghost knows this yep it's really frustrating yes <laughs> to <laughs> give these clues to people I mean, I can't even express enough how frustrating this is. If you haven't played as the ghost, you're trying to get somebody to guess, you know, somebody in a, I, I can't think of an example, a room that's indoors, kind of a garage with a couple of weapons in it. And the cards you're given have nothing to do with any of those things. Right. They'll have like a piano floating in outer space with like a duck. Right. And <laughs> right, to right. Use that somehow to portray what you're trying to say. It, it's very difficult to to do that communication but again i think it's probably probably by design but as a player i don't know if you guys feel this way as a player but you feel a little helpless it's like you're at the mercy of these clues and you know i i don't i don't don't know what this means there's there's this urge to throw your arms in the air sometimes (laughs) and you can tell the ghost is frustrated too right and i think that could you know we have to play a few more times and figure out if that's a problem or not i think like as a ghost i could tell that Dave, for example, was actually frustrated with me yes. as the ghost. He was like, he was annoyed that the cards I gave him didn't make any sense. Like I had any control over it, but I remember. And then he started mocking my line of thinking because right. I, I started to explain why I thought certain ways. And then he was mocking me later for it. There's an <laughs> interesting dynamic to the ghost. The ghost, you have to really get in people's heads a little bit and try to figure out what is going to bring them to this conclusion. And even if you can do that, you still need the cards to back you up right. with it. Chris was a lot better at the ghost than I was, I thought. I well, felt like... You know, and honestly, I, I felt like I was doing well as a ghost, but I really felt that you guys were the players that were coming through, that you were putting things together really well. Yeah. I didn't think it was me that was doing it. I think it was a true team effort. 
And it was, like I said before, how rewarding that was. Yeah, I think that's the hardest part of the game is you, as the players, you almost need to try to think how the ghost is thinking. Because with the two separate games, Ryan went very much with, this has a slash that kind of looks like a slash on this card. It was a very (laughs) one-to-one kind of, this has this and that card has that, so I'm going to try to make it. Whereas you kind of kept it more abstract. You know, okay, I want him to think basement. This card has a mouse. I'll throw him that one. And, you know, this one has something that looks... It was like the one with the altar. There was, like, kind of things going around and stuff like that. And then there was something else that had, like, swirls. And it was kind of, oh, it kind of looks like a magician. And one of the guys was kind of a magician. So it kind of pointed to it. Whereas I think if Ryan had done that, he'd be like, well, he's got a wand. This kind of looks like a wand. (laughs) Yeah. And this kind of looks... And it was was very... If you didn't see the way Ryan was seeing things, you're totally screwed. Whereas... Yours was the more abstract, okay, I'm kind of getting the general theme of things. So I, I think it helped us more that you were not as detailed. And the time that you went detailed with the bird that was an inkwell, it totally it blew up. Yeah. yeah. So I think the That's whole true. detail is really a problem. So yeah. I wanted to agree with one of the things Chris said, which is the cards as the ghost are very frustrating. There's a couple of reasons that factor in here. One is, like Chris said, the cards are small. So the level of detail is hard to see on the small cards. And then even though the screen itself is really cool, the fact that it's totally vertical, it's shaded. Yeah, it's shaded. So, and you know, most people are playing games in like a low light basement, right? So it's shaded. And then it's hard to see the cards on the top row. Like I almost wish that I could have another screen and put the cards just down flat in front of me on the table. I think that would make it easier. Even though that's, or they could include a little themed flashlight or something. With the yeah, cool. that's actually not a bad idea. I was actually going to suggest next time we have some kind of like some kind of light back there because it, it would help a lot. Mm-hmm. But even then, though, I mean, the cards that are out on the table are probably three times the size of the ones on the yeah. screen. So it's really hard to see the detail. And one thing that Chris was doing well that I wasn't is it's hard to remember. This isn't really a negative. It's just kind of a comment on the game overall. But when you're the ghost... I kept forgetting to look at all the cards that were out on the table because there's there's a dud in there. And sometimes I would give a clue that matched the dud without realizing it. And there was one time, Chris, I remember you, for the location, you gave us a card that represented something indoors and all the locations were outdoors except one. So you used like process of elimination kind of to make the clue. And I never did anything like that. I was doing what Tim said. It like... My, yeah, you were kind of seeing things on a low level, like a micro level, and I was like way high yeah. up. Yeah, and I think this speaks to like the nature of how we think, right? Because I'm very, very detail-oriented, yeah, and that's I'm what I was not. focusing on. And I think it's harder for someone like that to be the ghost in this game. Yeah, that's interesting. But on the other side, on the flip side, I think it makes it easier to be the, the player because yeah. because I'm detail-oriented, I, I like, for example, when Chris was the ghost... I've played under Chris as like a GM in role playing before, and I, I kind of know like the way he thinks, and so I was the only you went one undefeated. Yeah, didn't you? I was the only one who got three for three on the first three clues and went all the way to the end. And That's I think nice. it was because of all those those years of like knowing how Chris thinks, That's interesting, and, yeah. and paying attention to how he thinks. And so the detail orientedness helped. It helped as a player, but not as a ghost. Yeah, and I think the opposite is true. The way I think didn't work well as a ghost. Because I missed all the detail, and I, I actually got frustrated waiting. You know, that, that was the other thing. As a player, you have to wait for the ghost to turn out the cards, and I have a waiting issue. Yeah. And so that was that was a problem for me. So As a player, you mean? As a player, Okay, yeah. yep. Uh, one thing I hate about the game, it's a physical component. Those, they have these little, tiny 
eensy weensy chits they use to track where you are in that clairvoyance track. I mean, so if anyone's ever punched out a board game, you know how there's like there's like little pieces that you discard that like, for example, you might have a, like a, a coin with a hole in the middle and you have to punch out the little hole. It's like they took those little holes and, yeah. the, hey, let's yeah. put an arrow on it and make that a component in the game. Yeah. I mean, the worst component I've ever seen in any board game. Yeah, Horrible. A, a bigger token would have been much more useful and much easier to track. Anything. A cube yeah. would have been better. I mean, they could have used anything yeah. instead of this little tiny chit that I have to now keep track of and store in the game. I mean, it's the worst component. It's funny because you've ripped on cubes constantly. <laughs> yeah, and I would gladly... In fact, now that I'm thinking about it, I might go take some cubes out of other games for this. I mean, you only need seven of them. Yeah, and I think Mysterium is a game I'd like to play again just to bring kind of bring it to a conclusion. It's I liked it. I I thought it redeemed itself a little bit for me after playing twice. And it would be fun to rotate through everybody as the ghost. Yeah. Just to kind of give everybody a chance to do that and feel that pain. To feel the pain, just to see how they do too. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And this is the thing about co-op games too. And we'll get we'll talk about more about this later, I think, with more co-op talk. But it's okay to lose to me in a co-op game. If it's, you know, a good story in the end. Like the game Ryan was the ghost. We were awful at figuring out the clues. I mean, I don't think anybody did well that game. No, it was, and, but it, but it was, it's kind of a fun memory that it was such a debacle. Right. And it's, it's okay to just me. play the game again. The only concern I have about multiple plays is I'm worried that as we play more and more, we're as a group going to link certain cards to yeah, each other. I think there, there'll be a house meta that yep. occurs that this card equals this, this card equals this. But you're not guaranteed to get those. That was the one thing. You're only shuffling out seven. Right. You're guaranteed not to get the cards that you. Yeah, but you still, want. when that card comes up, I think it may be ignored until. So, a perfect example if we ever get a bird card, <laughs> we're going to link it to that stupid inkwell because Chris must have given. I think oh he gave God. at least four or five cards I think it was more to arrest with it was more birds on them. And we're like, what is this bird card? And we had to eliminate basically every other card until. Well, it got down to where it was, it was Aras's card and then the one dummy. that we picked before. Yeah. <laughs> And so it was like, okay, well. Yeah, so now and forever, that yeah. card is going to be linked to birds. Yeah, and I couldn't ask, is that a bird? Because then you guys right, know Right, because then you know, exactly, meant. right, right. <laughs> and what's funny is, whereas one time Chris leaned over and he looked at the big cards, he's like, no, I think I have that right. And he hands the Ross another bird. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Really bad. But do you guys like the game overall? I do. And I guess my overall opinion is this is a really unique game that I'm extremely happy that I have in my collection. I don't have any other game like this. The closest game to this game really is Codenames. And the only reason I say that is it's the mechanic of one person trying to get people to guess what's what they're thinking without telling them anything. And I, and I guess I'm going to make a statement here that this game is maybe turning me around on cooperative games in general, because I had a blast the second time I played. I didn't like, honestly, I didn't have that much fun when I was a ghost. And I kind of knew after being the ghost that I was going to like being the player more. And I loved being the player in the game. So I'd be perfectly fine never being the ghost again. Would you have fun as the player if you didn't do well? I mean, in other words, was your fun because you were the the player or because you did well? I think my fun was really just trying to figure out the clues because I love doing stuff like that. So even if you were not successful doing Well, that. I don't know because I have not been unsuccessful yet. So that's a good question. But I, I really did have a lot of fun. And yeah. I like, it's not just me figuring out my clues. This goes back to the clairvoyance tokens. 
I'm trying to figure out everyone's clues, and if they don't agree with me, I can downvote them, yeah. and that's great. And then when I'm right, I get to go up on that track. Isn't it a beautiful thing? Yeah, and, and I was the highest on the track, too. Nice. So that shows that not only was I doing well, but I was also guessing correctly yeah, on everyone else. You were else's. reading me yeah. even with everybody else's cards. Yeah. That's interesting. And I think my favorite thing about, back to I was mentioning RPGs, my favorite thing about RPGs, at least at, with a gym like Chris, Chris always has a lot of mystery, and my favorite thing is always trying to figure out the mystery of the game and like this kind of brought back that feeling that I had in role playing games like in a small in small bursts of just trying to kind of read the mind of of someone giving me some mysterious clues so I I, I loved it and I, I can't wait to play it a few more times for sure yeah, I fall somewhere in the lukewarm category yeah, okay. I'm on the, uh, the outside I guess on this I would definitely play it again if people wanted to play it, uh, but it's not like one I'd be suggesting to play. I think it has the, like you were saying, the chance to run out with cards being associated with certain things and that that meta that gets built up within your game group. But there is definitely a huge thing to knowing how the ghost thinks. So that's why you did so well. You and Chris kind of have the same wavelength. You know, I don't know what would happen if we put like a Nathan behind the screen. Yeah, and I would love to see you that. You just actually. don't know, you know, that might be a total debacle, like with the way you were thinking. So it's yep, you know, it would be interesting to see. I, yeah. I think it's a good idea because I, you know, honestly, I, I don't know that I'd want to be the ghost because you know I saw how painful it was for both of you to do it. So I think that's probably the most challenging part of the game. So yeah, I don't know. I, it's a very imperfect thing. It's yeah. it's an interesting thing by design. People who are more perfectionist, you know, with there's a right way to do something versus a wrong way are going to struggle. Yeah. But somebody who's a little sloppier like me, who can <laughs> cut corners and with quality on stuff, that's okay to be messy and to maybe not get it right. And to That's why Chris doesn't edit the podcast, by the way. <laughs> Poppy's a little sloppy. <laughs> totally true. <laughs> uh, one more quick thing about the cards. There is an expansion coming out this year, which I think this game probably begs for one if you're going to play it a lot. And I've also heard of people using using actual Dixit cards. I don't know if, you, if either of you have played Dixit. No, but I never have. They're cards by maybe even the same artist that are also equally as abstract and strange uh, that might work in this game. So maybe if we start running into that metagame problem, it's something we could try. Well, I definitely think that would be something to cure that whole metagame issue is the introduction of new art. Yeah. So Mysterium, definitely recommended for my end. Well, speaking of Mysterium, the cooperative game, we've been having some offline out of podcast discussions about different styles of cooperative games and we thought we'd uh, turn on the mics and discuss about cooperative games in our table talk cooperative games you're listening to the dice tower network the home of smart people insightful board gaming commentary and ryan graham find out more at dicetowernetwork.com Cooperative games. So I tried to structure this discussion a bit, but I'm sure we'll go off on a couple tangents here couple and there. Tangents, yeah. I tried to get Ahmad up on the phone to get his input since yeah. he's the co-op king. But That's uh, true. We should have know. brought him in. You know, Special guest yeah. appearance. So I thought I'd start with, I tried to come up with different styles of cooperative games, at least in my mind. How many different styles are there? I came up with three, and you guys might have additional ones in mind. So... I think what we'll do is we'll just kind of go through each style and then talk about maybe the pros and cons of, of each one and compare and contrast them and then throw okay. in anything else that you can think of. So I guess the first one is the pure cooperative game where there's open information, everything is open, and you have a common goal. And a perfect example of this is Pandemic. 
So we've been playing a lot of Pandemic Legacy. All the cards are face up on the table. Everyone sees them. So that's what I would call a pure co-op. That's with no secret goal, no hidden goal, nothing like that. Nope, just straight up complete the objectives, work together, try to get to the end. So one question that has come up as we've been discussing this is in this style of game, should you work together or should you make your moves independently? Well, the pure nature of the way you described it, you have to work together. I okay. mean, because everything's on the table. And I, I would assert that the game you just described with everything's face up is not really a game. Okay. It's more like a puzzle. Yeah. It's more like you're, you're completing a puzzle together. In other words, everybody, everything's face up. There's no traitor. There's no secret goal. Everybody has the same understanding of what's supposed to happen, and everything's on the table. So there's really no individuality at all. It's we have to get from point A to point B, and these, these are the tools that we have to do it. So let's put our heads together and figure it out. That's not really a game. That's, I remember my son and I got this bookcase from Ikea. Or no, it wasn't a bookcase. It was, uh, yeah, it was a bookcase. But it was, co- it was complex. There was lighting and stuff in there. And, you know, the instructions were, for whatever reason, they were obscure. We, we, put, we were able to put it together. I'm not good with tools like, like you guys probably. So for me, it was, it was this really uh, heightened sense of accomplishment when we were done. And that's a little bit what these types of co-op puzzles are, where there's no game element. It's more, here's the rules. Here's where you need to get to. Here's where we are. And here are the tools you have to get from point A to point B. Now let's figure it out. And so to your question about working together, I mean, yeah, there really is no, well, I'm going to take my turn and not really tell you guys what I'm doing because you can see what I'm doing. You can see my cards. You can see my special ability. And so you have everything to gain and to lose by what I do. So you have to have some input in what I'm doing. And in Pandemic Legacy, one of the successes we've had in that game was Tim, Tim's character has an ability to move another character for okay. his turn. And one of the reasons we went that direction is because Tim usually does very well in gaming. Pa- so I figured- need to pause for one second for our listeners' sake. I'm sorry. Sure. We're not going to spoil anything about Pandemic Legacy. I know there's somebody listening right now and your palms are sweating, your, your fingers next to the skip button, you're a little worried. We're not going to spoil anything about the legacy part of Pandemic Legacy. We'll only talk about things that are found in the base game of Pandemic. True. And honestly, we're not very far in it. Right. So. But because Tim's character had that ability to move other characters that is very cooperative right Mm -hmm. there because we're sort of saying you know look we trust what you're doing and you know he's gonna go over it anyway with us it's not like he's just it's full unilaterally yeah Yeah. it's full i mean i technically i think i need permission to move your token and i can't just move it right so it has to be discussion you have to agree to me moving your token so but it's the optimization and the discussion that has to occur in order to try to maximize what we're getting done that round because pandemic's one of those things that a couple bad rounds could be the game so it's one of those that requires discussion and i i kind of agree with your puzzle kind of analogy because you're not gaming. You don't have your own goals. You're, you're you're trying to complete the game in the best way that you can. So it's right. kind of trying to optimize stuff. So if you didn't work together and everyone did take their moves independently, do you think you could do well no. in Pandemic? No, I think your success is directly tied to how much discussion you make. Okay. And I agree. So I kind of equate this to, have you ever played a scramble in golf? Do you know what a scramble is? Is that where like you take the closest ball or something? Yes. A scramble is where you play in like a group of four 
and everyone hits, and then everyone picks up their ball and moves it to the best hit. And when you do that, it kind of evens out the playing field a bit, because you're all playing the best ball every time. So four of you playing together, you should do better than if each of you played individually. And I think Pandemic and other cooperative games where everything is open are like that, where it is a puzzle, and the more minds you have working on the puzzle, the better you're going to do at the puzzle. I don't know if I agree necessarily that it's not a game. Well, it's, it's like um, if you were working on a crossword puzzle. You're not going to do as well by yourself. as The more people you add onto it, you're going to do better at it. Not just from the trivia standpoint, but knowing how it fits together. And every puzzle is probably like that, too. Yeah, I guess the difference between this a game like this and an actual puzzle would be the random events that happen. You don't know when an epidemic's going to happen. You don't know what cards you're going to get when you yeah, flip over cards. Yeah, but that's part of the puzzle. Yeah, it adds to the puzzle, but the puzzle is... You don't know the puzzle at the beginning. Right, it's like true. It's developing the puzzle over evolves. It's true. It's true. Okay, interesting. Uh, I do think that of all the types of cooperative games, this is the one that I usually don't like. And the reason is, back to the things that I mentioned before about cooperative games, that the things I don't like was is that when you are trying to optimize and working together, it could lead to frustration and arguments, yeah. which is kind of the, the opposite of what a cooperative game should be. And when that happens, that's when it immediately becomes not fun to me. And I think to avoid that, the rules have to be very simple. If you had a cooperative game, let's say Pandemic had had really complex rules, I think it would get worse. Or if the game, the mechanics of the game are really complicated, like heavy Euro type of mechanics where it takes a lot of thought to figure out, that would be a nightmare. I don't think I could stand it. Yeah. yeah. But because Pandemic and games, you know, a lot of these games, the best ones have very simple rules. So you're not fighting the rules. It's really just about what's the best move. One side note I had about these types of games is they're great solo games. <laughs> I don't know. This might kind of make Chris's point. These are the best games to me. Like if you have an iPad and you want to download board games to play on your iPad, the cooperative games like this to me are the best because there's no like artificial intelligence to play. The artificial intelligence is built into the board game itself. It's not like someone's writing code to be artificial intelligence. Right. And because of that, it makes these games more fun. So I love playing these types of games, unlike an iPad or just playing solo. Yeah, and actually, I could see Pandemic. I mean, you could play four different characters as a solo person and play the whole game yourself. I mean, there's definitely there's nothing, nothing that's stopping you from, from doing, doing that. You're yeah. you're optimizing each character's movements and abilities. So yeah, I, it sort of kind of proves it's not really a game. <laughs> I mean, it probably comes out offensive, but. It is more of a puzzle-solving exercise than it is a game. Where you know, a game you're you need to have more than one player play a game. I mean, would you call solitaire a game yeah. or a puzzle? It's a game. Is it? Because a puzzle by nature is always solvable. I don't know. If solitaire is always solvable. Puzzles always solvable. Yeah, that's an. I don't know. Uh, I, I I could I can see where he's going there. I mean, that's. You mean it's always solvable? Like, for example, if I had a crossword puzzle, it's not going to be always solvable. But it's always solvable by somebody. Right. Right, but with the crossword, there's... There's a word that's going to go in each box, a letter that's going to go in each box, and it it can be always solved. With solitaire, you're going to get to a point where just due to the card stacking... You're going to get because of the stuck. randomization. You're going, yeah. you're going to lose because you can no longer make any more moves. Right. Same thing with pandemic. You you've made a wrong move, and it will cause you to lose the game. That's true. So, it's not- so pandemic is a little bit like solitaire in that standpoint because you're shuffling the cards, and based on the way those come up, that's really going to determine if you win or lose. 
or if you make bad decisions, just right. like in solitaire. Right, right. So pandemic is kind of like solitaire. <laughs> so just to, just to summarize. <laughs> With the map. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling we might get a lot of feedback on this episode. And due to the interest of time, I don't think we're going to have time to debate this much. So maybe we should move on. Unless you guys are curious why I'm actually enjoying Pandemic Legacy, even though I don't like cooperative games of this nature. You guys want to know? I I would like to know. Okay. So I'm going to explain. Again, no spoilers. But I've spent a considerable amount of time trying to answer this question myself. Because right now, ironically, me, the one who typically doesn't like playing games multiple times and typically hates cooperative games, is probably enjoying Pandemic Legacy more than anyone else, with maybe the exception of Tim. Tim and I, I think, are both enjoying it. Chris pretty much hates it, and, and Dave is on the fence. <laughs> say I hate it. Uh, no, he, it's not a game. It's, it's, it's solitaire. It's a solitaire a puzzle <laughs> with a map. Okay, so here are the reasons I like it. Reason number one by far is we have not argued yet. Maybe if we had an argument in the game, it would go downhill for me, but we haven't had that happen. And that's typically because Chris and Dave are talking about work or something, and Tim and I are working together, and I just defer to Tim because he's way better than me at games. (laughs) So Tim is basically playing the game. (laughs) So I'm I'm the one playing the solitaire games? I'm I'm like Tim's sidekick that's that's just nodding yes. Why do you think we're winning? (laughs) Uh, Number two is... I actually know the game fairly well because I've played it a lot on the iPad. And I've, I've just played it a lot in the past. So I'm not, I haven't felt as if I didn't know what I was doing, which a lot of times that's when I get frustrated in these games. I, I don't feel like I don't know what I'm doing and then someone tells me what to do and then I don't like that they're telling me what to do because they don't. Both of those items have to do with the group you're playing with. Yeah, I think so. Well, not, I mean, me knowing the game well uh, it, doesn't. The, but the first item. Yeah. So number three, I'm playing the Medic. And the medic, as everyone knows, their moves are pretty straightforward. You go heal diseases. So there's not a lot of debating what I should do on my turn. It's like stick Ryan where all the cubes are and have him walk around and clear the cubes. You know, it's something simple enough that Ryan can handle. Uh, Next one is every time we play, it's like we're playing a new game because of the legacy nature. And I, being the one who loves playing new games, to me, every time we play still is kind of like playing a new game. So I'm kind of getting that experience every time. And the Clickforia experience to me is going to be at a campaign level rather than a game level. And I've yet to experience Clickforia yet with Pandemic Legacy. So I'm still anticipating that happening. Interesting. And then lastly, well, this kind of goes back to Clickforia, but it's almost like the entire campaign is one game. And I am not going to be satisfied until that game is complete. <laughs> That's the OCD in you. <laughs> so yeah. uh, until we complete that single game, a.k.a. the campaign of Pandemic Legacy, I won't be satisfied. We must, we must finish. <laughs> so those are the reasons why I'm enjoying it. <laughs> little tangent there. Makes sense. I understand each one of those things. Okay. No arguments? No comments? I mean, I I don't feel that way, but I get that you do. All of it makes sense to me. I mean, if we were playing with more of a hardcore alpha gamers, you wouldn't be having fun. Probably not. You know, if we weren't having as much success, probably, mm-hmm. you, it probably would detract a little bit. And then some of the other things, that the, the click for you and the campaign, that's your OCD talking. And that you are going to see this thing through, even if you hate it. It's a powerful force. <laughs> you will go down with the ship. I think with this game, though, too, it is the changing nature of the legacy aspect. Because if we were to sit down and play base pandemic at the beginning of every gaming session. No way. No way. I'd be done. I'd have to, we've done it. We've done it, what, three or four times now? Three times. Three times. I think I'd be like, okay, I'm good with this one for a while. Yeah, or but get the, an expansion. The, the, but the but changing, we can't now. But, the, but, we, we but, it's, changing, but it's not... The, <laughs> 
<laughs> we have to Ain't stick it out. No, but it's it's the game that we are going to play next time is not the game we played last time. There's different things going on now that make this game unique not compared to the many. last. Without saying too much, but I mean, it's not it's, that much. I mean, the mechanics are the same. You're still curing diseases. You're still doing this. There's still a difference in the gameplay, and now the way you're going to go at the game is different than when we were going in game one. Right. So let's draw a parallel between walking out of a movie that you don't like versus Pandemic Legacy. Never done that. You've never walked out of a movie. I was just going to predict that, and I bet Tim hasn't. You guys probably don't go out a lot to No, to no, more. I'm trying to think. But in um, general... I don't, I don't think I've ever walked out of a movie theater, but I have been like at a hotel on business with absolutely nothing to do but watch the movie that was on HBO, and I, it was so bad I couldn't take it. I'd rather just click it off and go stare at the bathroom mirror or something. <laughs> but my point is, the people that are most likely to bail on this game are people that would walk out of a movie. To your point of not doing it, and Tim's not doing it, Dave and I would. We're would, we the, the same type of people that if we were watching it... We don't go into... There's no, like, denial. We're out. <laughs> All right. The next style of cooperative game that I've determined here is what I call... I don't even have a term for this, but it's cooperative games that have hidden info but a common goal. That's the hicked. So examples of this would be The Grizzled or, like, Sentinels of the Multiverse, and I'm sure there's others, but it's where each player has... Well, in both of those games, each player has a hidden hand of cards that they can't share with the other players. So they have to make decisions independently because of the hidden information. So what are some thoughts you guys have on this style of game? And and do you think this is worse or better than a pure co-op? Well, it's definitely better. I mean, a pure co-op isn't a game, as we determine. (laughs) It's solitaire with a map. (laughs) Now, I I like this style better. The Grizzled. I remember, Ryan, you hated The Grizzled. And I'm not going to say The Grizzled was one of the best games ever, but it was it was okay. And I think in games like this, you, your moves need to be trusted because uh, because there's some hidden information. So as I'm holding my cards, my guys, my partners, the people playing the game with me, have to sort of trust me that I know what I'm doing. They're not going to micromanage my move. But at the same time, there is discussion happening. So the rules are very clear as to what should and shouldn't be discussed or what you're allowed. You can't say what is in your hand right it made it an interesting game plus it was quick moving and i know the speed isn't part of this question but i like this method i don't think it's the best it's not my favorite but i it's definitely better because there's still some individuality in there where you have to act like a game you're you're making a decision and you the decision you make as an individual will affect the outcome yeah i mean i would agree it's it's you've got individual decisions that can be made knowing that the common goal is always out there but how you achieve that common goal on your turn can be quite varied from way someone else tries to achieve the same common goal so there's much more independent action going towards the common goal and there's still some discussion hey i could do this or this and me you know kind of get a group consensus of which one i should do and then I maybe have multiple ways i can do things and decide which is the best way for me to do that so that i can keep cards in that will help protect me or or do other things so it's the co-op with a little bit of independent thinking so it's probably more enjoyable for people that don't want to just kind of be dictated on what to do because they can kind of do the goal but not do it the way someone else maybe wants to you know i would assert that rpgs fall into this category because you have hidden information 
you know, some of the stuff in your character. Yeah. But you're all kind of working together. It's true. That's a good point. You know, the two games that I mentioned, I don't like either one of them, but it's actually not because of the style of game. The Grizzled, just to comment on the Grizzled real quick, the reason I didn't like that game is because we played it multiple times, and it occurred to me after playing it over and over that there was so much luck involved with how the deck was stacked that you almost had no chance. It's almost back to the solitaire thing we were talking about. Yeah. It's like you, you almost just can't win sometimes because of the way the deck is stacked. And I don't like that. Uh, and so that that's the reason I didn't like the Grizzled. And Sentinels of the Multiverse, I like better than the Grizzled, but it's really fiddly. There's just so much management of the game you have to do. It's really detracting from the game. So I feel like a game like this, it just has to be designed well. I wish there, there probably are some, but games that have as simple of rules as something like Pandemic, but have you know that hidden information is, is there a third type there is and that third type <laughs> thanks for the segue question chris is hidden info with a common goal plus a secret or independent goal so examples of this are mysterium and the reason i say mysterium is because of the independent goal of trying to be the highest on the on the clairvoyance track mm. and dead of winter where you have a secret goal that if you don't complete you lose even if your team uh, completes the overall objective. So what are your thoughts on this? And, uh, and I guess I want to put a caveat here. Let's discuss this first with removing the traitor element because Dead right. of Winter has a traitor element, which is kind of a different thing altogether. How does this rank with the other two styles? Yeah, for me, I think it's a lot better. Okay. The, these styles, these three styles progressively get better. Less collaboration typically is more fun for me. I mean, I like the collaboration, but we don't need too much of it. In Dead of Winter, there's just the the exact right amount of collaboration. You know, there's a little bit of discussion, but then you make your move. I love the secret goal because you you get to win as a group, but also as an individual. So there's a little duality there. You said that we should remove the traitor element, but the secret goal always, I, I think that adds a lot to it. And I think they could add secret goals to some of these other games and you know, Shadows Over Camelot, for example. You know, it could make the, those games more fun. Dave had a really good idea, by the way, for Pandemic. Not Pandemic Legacy, just Pandemic in general. And this goes back to the secret goal, which was like something like, I have a sister in Hong Kong, that, and I need to make sure I end the game in Hong Kong or I lose. Something like that, which fits the theme completely for a game like Pandemic, right? Cause that's Is that an independent goal or a secret goal? It could be either. Well, I, if it's an independent goal, then everybody knows it. Right, so they could help you do that. But it would add, well, that would add more optimization. So I guess in that case, it'd have to be secret. Right. Yeah, Mysterium is unique in that you have an independent goal that everyone knows, but you're not trying to optimize other people completing their independent goal because it doesn't have any impact on the overall score, like overall whether you guys win as a team. The the secret goal does add some element of variability to the game and also... You know, this is probably the farthest from the co-op because it's, it's like a very, very loose co-op. I mean, everyone knows, like, in Dead of Winter, you know, we've got to prevent the zombies from overtaking us. But then there's so much other independent stuff that goes on that, I don't know, it, do- it doesn't feel as co-op as, like, other games do. So Yeah, I don't know if these are... I don't know if Dead of Winter is considered a semi-co-op because there are games that are semi-co-op. I guess it probably is. Because one of those, you know... If if I wanted to, I could totally ignore keeping zombies out of you know the home base and just go do off and do my own thing and just leave it to other people to to deal with mopping up the zombies. So then you're 
you're really not co-oping at all. You're you're going for your objective and just relying on everybody else to do what they should be doing. So I mean, it could become a very non-co-op role, which maybe would you would like. Well, then, but then it's just a regular game, and then there's really no co-op. Well, there is a co-op because if the, if the zombie home base gets overrun, oh, well, you yeah, lose. Right. Yeah. So you could just be like, yeah, I'm going to ignore it, and then it starts getting to be dire enough that you realize, oh, I, maybe I have to actually start helping in order for us to not be overrun. But you can kind of almost go off on your own and let other people deal with the co-op nature of things. Well, the, the problem with Dead of Winter as an example is there, there's the traitor element. Yeah, so, but we're not discussing traitor. I know, point. but if... if well, we can discuss it. It was just for, the, for comparison to the other styles. Because traitor element, it's kind of a different category. I don't, a lot of people don't even consider those games as actual cooperative games because of the traitor element. So I kind of wanted to take that out right. because True. Dead of Winter doesn't always have a traitor. Right. Neither right. does Shadows Work. So you could play it completely without a traitor. Sure. So, well, what is your opinion on the third category? So I think that any type of cooperative game could be improved with secret goals. And again, I think what's throwing you guys off maybe about me is the fact that I'm liking <laughs> Pandemic Legacy. But I think that is kind of a different beast altogether. I think removing all the Legacy stuff, I would get bored with Pandemic really quickly. Yeah. And I would probably almost enjoy it better as a solo game than a cooperative game. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, so I know there's semi-co-op games. I know there's trader games. Those are other categories. But these are kind of the three that I thought of. Are there any that you think I'm missing? Or do you think we covered the gamut? I think we covered it. No, I think that's pretty much the gamut. You're either having pure, pure co-op, you kind of have the hidden info, or you've got secret info. I mean, so are we all I on the same page? Do we all I agree we are. that secret games of secret goals are the best? Yeah. I think it adds an element of variety that is not present in the other ones for sure. Like you said, too, with the pandemic, I think playing straight up pandemic, yeah, you know, playing that once a session or once a year would be enough. But the legacy element of it changes it enough for me that I actually really enjoy it. Yeah, the only the only way to make a game like pandemic unique as you do more plays is they have difficulty levels. And a lot of these pure yeah. co-op games do the real puzzly ones where they just make it harder for you to win. Yeah. So you have to get more efficient at solving the puzzle or you're going to you lose. So but people who play it a lot can beat it on the highest difficulty every time. Yeah. You know, then it's time to move on to a new game, I think. Else, yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, I kind of like these in the re- in the reverse order that we presented them. And if it wasn't Pandemic Legacy, straight up pure co-ops are the games I've always railed on as not liking. But some of these newer games like Mysterium, like like I said, it's might be turning me around on on cooperative games in general. Less optimization, less arguing, more hidden information. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Well, I think that wraps up episode... 22. 22. (laughs) (laughs) You can find more info about our podcast at outofgamepodcast.com. Come out to BGG Guild 1990. As of this recording, we're at 82 guild members trying to get us to 100, uh, which would put us in quite an elite field. There aren't that many podcasts that have a guild count of in triple digits so it's kind of one of my goals is to get us and it's steadily growing which has been nice now you can find us on twitter facebook and stitcher at oog podcast and you can email us at outofgamepodcast at gmail.com especially if you want to give us free games you can leave a voicemail for us at 40 oog oog 80 that's 406-646-6480 very ocd <laughs> and 
For more great podcasts of the Dice Tower Network, go to Dicetowernetwork.com. Good night, everyone. Good night. Two more things. Want to give a quick update on Azure North America and the heater just turned on. Yes. Yes. Hooray for the heater. Yeah. That's all I had for the Swan Point. Wow. And I need to pause nice. for a second because for some reason I feel like I'm going to pass out. Okay. Well, it's probably because you talked <laughs> you for a half talked hour. A lot. Yeah. Take a breath. Can be independent. <laughs> and Ryan's got this look of wow. Oh, yeah. I didn't think that was turned up. Owned. He just did the thermostat. Good job. It's going to get cold in here. That's the downside. Well, that's fine. Would you put it? You put it on super chill. All right, we're going to do that every time we come in here. Sorry, Tim. All right, so where are we at? Okay. Okay, so. Should I just start over? Yeah, probably. As a solo game, then a cooperative game. Yeah, I would agree. So, uh. (laughs) So distracting. Chris is taking his video right and it's like really odd. Uh, I guess Ryan's we can like turning red now. Be a video like... podcast. Um, so yeah, I do think. How adding... would you do if that was a gun? Back to the first question. Oh man, yeah, he'd be done. <laughs> yeah, choke. Um, to conclude. <laughs>